here pretty soon. Uh, I, I want to introduce myself a little bit more to you. Uh, the side Luke didn't introduce was my family. I brought my third child with me this weekend from Raleigh, North Carolina. And let me show you a picture of my family. We took this picture oh, a couple weeks ago, actually, I guess a month ago now. And this is the only picture in the last five years that we could get all of us smiling. You know, have you ever had those kind of family? And so I have uh, my oldest there is 23. He's married to uh, Haley, who is on his right. So Sterling is the tall one. Haley is on his, our left, his right. And then my daughter's 19. That's family 1.0. We had two kids, boy and a girl. We could all fit in sedan. It all worked exactly the way we wanted. And uh, God showed up and wonderfully blessed us with the Revolutionary War hero right in the middle, uh, Wesley and his younger brother, Aiden. Uh, so this is, this is my family. And I've been married for 25 years and uh, just been really deeply thankful and, and happy uh, that God has given me and blessed me. Uh, when so many times I've been a fool, He has blessed me. Uh, Aiden right there actually probably is not smiling, but we're just going to assume that that's what's going on here. He's a very mischievous one, and he likes to get into stuff. So that's me. So I want to also say thank you so much for investing in me, uh, my ministry. Basically what I do three-quarters of the time is I helped uh, to coach leaders, uh, both uh, business leaders and pastors uh, that basically that are usually in startup mode. And then I'll, about a third of the time, I've uh, started something that is on the Enneagram that's a gospel-centered approach to the Enneagram. So that's what I do a third of the time. Um, I have met several people here uh, that uh, love the Vols. <laughs> you know when you wear orange on Sunday morning, you know, it's like a, it's a, there's a, they're like, which God shall I worship? So anyway, I remember uh, for years being in Johnson City in East Tennessee, I mean, East Tennessee State was there, but not really. It was kind of like, we all know we're a Vols fan. Uh, there's been a few Texas Tech Red Raiders that I've coached that are in leadership here. I went to the University of Texas and wanted to start out with telling you a story about what that was like, because it really relates uh, to, but a couple things uh, that were just said, and also what we're going to talk about today. Uh, when I went to the University of Texas in Austin, uh, quite, a, quite a few semesters ago now, um, I just really thought to myself, all right, here's college, all that college promises, and especially on the party scene, let's see if they know what they're talking about. And so I decided I'm going to go to the party scene, not only because I just had freedom, though it was some of that. I decided to go in the party scene in part to kick the tires and to see could it deliver on its promises? Well, I will say that initially I found the answer was yes. <laughs> initially. Long term, the answer was no. And one story comes to mind when I think about it. Uh, I went out with a few of my friends on Friday night. We had nothing to do. And we had just mail ordered this thing. At the time, we called it a winger. Today, we call it a water balloon launcher, right? And uh, we're like, gosh, you could really launch balloons like a couple hundred yards, right? And so, you know what this is. You, one person holds one side with their 
arm, and the other one holds the other side. It's a big slingshot, and the other person gets a water balloon. They stick it in the middle of the pouch and pull it back seven or eight feet and launch it, and sure enough, like I said, you get to launch a water balloon a couple hundred yards. But you can launch an egg 300 yards. So we went and got 12 dozen eggs. And then we camped out at this place called Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Austin, which is about as busy as Kingston Pike, okay? And there was this great place uh, right at the bottom of the hill that was shaded from all these trees and had a building that you couldn't even really see that you could have a perfect line of sight towards cars. And the thing is, we realized, well, hold on a second. Why be 300 yards away? So we basically decided it would be about 30 yards away. So basically from here to, you know, the back of the auditorium. And so what we decided to do was get our beer, get our eggs, get our water balloon launcher, and get our attitude, which was this is going to be awesome, and sure enough, have a great time. So we unleashed uh, 144 eggs, and we got good at it. By the end of it all, we were hitting one out of every two cars. And I'm sure it was great for the drivers. Because they had, you know, they're just driving along, they're probably bored, had nothing, they're like, oh my gosh, that's awesome, there's an egg, it crossed my windshield, you know? And that's what we're thinking, like, we're doing you a favor, you know, you need to wash that car anyway. So, uh, so we unleashed all these eggs, and we had a ball. Initially, it was great. <laughs> well, when we were done... We picked up uh, our empty beer cans and we picked up our egg cartons because we could litter, you know, and we went back uh, towards the dorm. And as we're carrying these things, uh, we come upon all these cars that are all kind of pulled out in the parking lot. And in the middle of it, there's this crowd of about 20 people. In the middle of 20 people, there was a cop. And there was a perfect opening between the people and the cop so that he could perfectly see us. And here I am like this. And all he did was point at me and wave me uh, towards himself. So they took us downtown to the police station. They handcuffed us uh, to a chair, each one of us to a chair, and then let us go. And then, of course, it didn't take long to figure out what the story was. I mean, like, here we were holding all the uh, evidence, and, uh, and I remember at that point that, that I started asking myself, maybe the party scene doesn't quite cash in. Well, similar to what was just said uh, by Chase, I had a series of people at the same time asking me questions. What's life really about, John? There was there was uh, a gentleman in particular that was with Crew, a campus ministry that's also here, of course, in Knoxville. And he would just ask me questions. What do you think about God? Where is life really found? And he would say every time, think about that question next week. Let's hang out for breakfast again. I'll ask you again. That's all he did was ask questions. And I started asking that question. Well, I really knew the truth. And before too long, I realized, hey, the party scene is fun initially but there are consequences. In part, it was more that was, I'm asking you to live for me, right? Your inconvenience, egg on your car, 
for my fun. And so initially, it was a thrill, but long-term, there was consequences on that. You know, when I was sitting there and handcuffed to a chair, um, something came to mind. It's one of my earliest memories, and it was my mom on her king-size bed. And she pulled me up on her bed, and this happened several times. And she said, let me explain to you Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And she would explain it to me. And so in that moment, when I was handcuffed to the chair, I thought about my mom. I was three years old. And I thought about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And I realized I was being a fool. And so I want to walk through with you Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and then we'll do a few more verses after that. Because I want to share with you, if I was ever in a place to where I was saying my last words, I might actually go to where my mom first took me at one of my earliest memories because of what wisdom teaches. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you have an app or a Bible you can follow along, we also have it up on the screen. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. You know, um, I realized around that time that if my mom was right, if the Bible was right, and this is the way wisdom is. This is the way you should live life. Then I had a couple questions. The first one is, can God really do that? Can God make straight my past? Will he really do that? The second one is, can I really do that? Can I trust him? This is in the middle of a bunch of verses where every odd verse is what we do, like trust, and every even verse is what God does, which is like make straight your paths. So, first of all, can God do this? We're going to talk about that first. A lot of people say no. God will not make your path straight. Some people don't even give them a chance. And it's for several different reasons. One is, of course, they may not know God. They haven't ever been taught that. They never had a mother that explained things or explained what God was like. They might have a general idea of what God would be, but they honestly don't even know what characteristics He would have. So they say, no, I can't trust Him because I don't know Him. It's an honest question, and it's an honest response in this case. Other people have really thought about it but say, no, I don't believe he can, because that's not the God I know. God doesn't make people's paths straight. He just makes them curvier. He makes it worse. He sends people on journeys that are very, very difficult. I don't trust God. Other people might have other reasons, like they look at the Bible, they deconstruct things, and they say, I just don't think the Bible's true, so therefore I don't know if this is really God or not. So some people say no. God will not do this, and I don't believe that. After all this time, I really believe mom was right. I really believe that the Bible's true. But to be honest, even some people that believe the Bible's true, they say, well, kind of, maybe. God might make your past straight, but the 
Proverbs aren't so much promises of God. They're more principles or probabilities. And I don't know if I believe that either. Um, I would want to say that because I want to let God off the hook, but I'm like, hold on a second. I'm being asked to 100% trust God and acknowledge Him in all my ways, and He gets off on probably? Like, no, if He is perfect, then let's just assume He's going to do this. Let's assume this is a promise. And sure, we can loosen our expectations and say sometimes God doesn't work in the way we think, and that is fair. It's true for any other relationship as well. But I have come to the conclusion that these are promises. So I say, yes. Yes, God can do it. That's my opinion. When I say yes, I realize that because in part, like my story with the eggs, uh, if the more I trust in myself, the more I grow crooked. The more my path gets crooked. You know, this is written in Hebrew in the original language, but it was translated later into Greek. And, and uh, one of these old-fashioned Bibles in Greek would translate this word crooked with the same root word that we get scoliosis today. And so the idea is that the more you trust in yourself, the more you grow crooked. And, and ultimately, as you grow, your back breaks. And so you've got to realize you're always trusting in something. Think about it. You're always trusting in something. As been said before, when we sit on a chair, we're trusting in the chair to hold us. When I was going to the party scene, I was going to see if that chair would hold me, if that worldview would hold up, right? Um, sometimes we're trusting in other people. When they say, our boss says, your job is secure, we trust them, kind of. <laughs> right? Sometimes we have trouble with that too. But ultimately, we've got to say, what do we trust? And ultimately, your judge for trusting is yourself aside from God being true to His promises. And so, um, when you look at this, I look at, and, and I look at it, I think, you know what, I know when I, tr when I do the opposite, things get worse. When I'm trusting in my own nose and the direction it leads, then I don't have a direction of where I'm supposed to go. When I'm trying to ensure that I'm secure, that I survive, usually things go off. It's interesting. He goes a little bit further here with the next couple verses. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from that evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The word flesh here is the word belly button. <laughs> okay? I mean, it, but there's a reason why we didn't translate it belly button. We, they thought it might break down culturally. Uh, it will be healing to your navel is the word it actually says here. And the reason why is because the ancients basically saw that the navel was the original source of life, which totally makes sense. It's an umbilical cord. And it's the core of your being. In other words, God's going to heal you from inside out. God's going to bring life. When you're not wise in your own eyes, but you're fearing or you're worshiping God, it, that life is going to come into you. 
from the inside out, and there will be healing inside out. And ultimately, if you're a Christian, you believe that there will be ultimate healing. At one point, there will be a place where every tear is wiped away, where there is no more crying or pain, that God is going to do something about that. That is true, but it begins inside out. And so, when we look at these, we could say, hey, I've been dealing with issues for years. For example, physical issues. I got shingles back in 1997, and I still take pain medication because of that. Okay, so for 20 years, the after effect, the nerve damage I've had from shingles, get the shingles shot, the vaccine, I encourage you that. That's my encouragement. Uh, but uh, th this right here is a long time to not have healing. Until I realized, wait, hold on a second. First of all, this has totally changed my life to walk away from pain. It, is, it has changed my character from inside out to be trusting in the Lord hour to hour in pain. Furthermore, uh, God, in the meantime, between not being healed, He's given me physicians, He's given me medicine, where I function completely, 100%. And I would say, you know what? It has been healing from the inside out, and I'm not worried about the healing on the outside. It is coming. I have no, I have absolutely, I mean, I've got worries about other things, but in this area, I have absolutely no worry whatsoever that one day that pain will be gone, and it will be on the outside too. Now, my expectations were back in 1997 that it would go away in a month. But what I've learned is God's expectations were, I'm giving you what Paul would say, a thorn in the flesh, a physical ailment, so that you would learn that my grace is sufficient, so you would be changed from the inside out. I believe, and you'll have to come to your own conclusion, that yes, God can do it. The issue for me is, can I do it? Can I really trust? That's the issue for me. What does trust mean? It means to belly flop on the Lord, okay? It is to spread eagle and just give your entire weight to the Lord. It says here to acknowledge Him in all your ways. That means to intimately know Him in everything. And it's not that you're putting all reason out, of course. It's that you're solely putting your trust in God first. I'm oh, sorry. It's not that you solely leave your reason out. I said it wrong. But you're putting your trust in God first. In all my ways, like my pain, like my travels, like my job, like my family, in all my ways, in every area, in every time, in every moment, in every sphere, I am intimately knowing Him, and I'm talking to Him. And when I'm not trustful, I'm like, God, I'm not trustful. Give me a desire to be trustful. One of my questions for me is, gosh, can I really do that? Because I get really off sometimes. I mean, really off. Can I really do that? Um, I would say that there has been seasons in my life I've been so far off that, um, and I was trying to trust in God, that there was actually something in the way I was approaching it that was the issue. For example, uh, I mentioned that we've adopted a couple children. 
with the second child, uh, our youngest, uh, there was a season where we had a lot going on, and I was emotionally done. Here I am sitting here taking foster care classes, and I'm emotionally done. I'm sure they would have loved to know that. <laughs> They're like, but there's a lot of reasons why we were doing so. We proceeded. Aiden, our now youngest, was placed in our home. And after four months, it was so bad. I was so off. And I was trying to trust in God, but I was just so emotionally done. At one point, I said, I'm calling DHS. They're going to come pick up this child. And my wife and my daughter, who at the time was about 11, they literally went back to back and they said, you're going to have to come get them over our dead bodies. And... Uh, and I walked away, and at that point, I just gave up. What I realized was the way I was trusting was still believing that I was like on thin ice, that I could fall through, that, that I was worried uh, and trusting in the Lord, and I was putting so much thought and effort in how I was messing up as a dad and how I was getting angry uh, as a father and how I was just getting uh, more and more depressed, uh, even having some suicidal thoughts at times. And I, I realized what was happening here was the way I was going about and my expectations of trust um, were part of the reason why I was having trouble following through on my part. Um, I, <clears throat> I, I, would, I would fail, and then I would get mad at myself, and then I would get mad at God. I despise God. And then I would fail, and then I'd get mad at myself and depressed. And there was just this season where this was what was happening. And what happened is God allowed me to go all the way down, and I landed on God. And I was able to surrender and say, you know, I'm not even sure even the way I'm approaching you or trying to trust in you is quite right. I need so much help, I'm not sure. It was reminded me of a story that an old professor uh, told about his father years ago in Wisconsin. I mean, we're talking years, and this guy was really old when I had him as a professor 20 years ago. He was in his 80s. So his father... Uh, lived about 120 years ago or so, and, and he was up in Wisconsin, and he was at a place where he would needed to cross a river. He'd never been to this part of, the, uh, of, the, of Wisconsin before. It was in the dead of winter, and he passed through the town, and they said, you can, pass, you can just travel over the river. It's not a problem. Get on the other side to your destination. And he got to the river and thought, okay, here we go. And so what he did is he got down on all uh, on his belly, spread out his weight, and started shimmying across the ice, just hoping that it would hold him, feeling like at any, any minute he could fall through. And after he's about halfway across the river, all of a sudden he heard these big, just boom, and felt it on the ice, turned around, and there were these two huge stallions, stallions pulling a wagon full of stuff, and a farmer who passed him and say, morning, on the way over. <laughs> and, and then he got up and just brushed himself off and thought, what a fool I am, and walked across. What he learned was the ice was solid. And it changed 
the way um, he trusted. He learned, I don't have to rely on my survival techniques and God. I could just rest and trust fully that he is solid, that he will never let me down. And that's what he did. A lot of times when you're asking the question, can I do it? You, honestly, God still loves you through times where you're faithless. He still loves you regardless of what you do, of your works. Um, because of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, God upholds you completely. Even if you're still trusting in your own survival techniques or not. What I learned is, though, a lot of the times that we perceive this is a technique problem. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book uh, years ago called The Abolition of Man, and he wrote this in this quote. Let me read it to you. It says this, for the wise men of old, we're talking old, old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. So there are some hows, but the goal was to conform the soul to reality. For magic and applied science alike, he's actually talking about a pre-modern to modern turn um, years ago, but for magic and applied science alike, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of man, and the solution is a technique. You know, we trust in our house more than the who. We trust in our techniques a lot. You search on Amazon, uh, something like how to close the deal in sales. There's three steps to blah, 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 closing the deal. There's four steps to this. Figure out how to parent, type in parenting. Here comes a story on how to parent. And what you'll see again and again with the three steps or six steps, or it, we emphasize this is how you do this. This is the technique in order to win. And the problem with that is if you don't go all the way to the who, you're still basically trying to ensure your own happiness. You're still trying to ensure your own blessing. You're still relying on your own survival techniques, but you may say you're um, trusting in God. You know, you go to a Christian uh, website, or to a Christian bookstore, and you walk through, there's just as, there's just as many technique-oriented books as anything else. And there's nothing wrong with the how. There's nothing wrong with technique. That's not my point. The point is the wisdom is rooting the soul, and sorry, is conforming the soul to reality. It's saying, here's reality. Now, how do I change? But foolishness basically takes the opposite. Here is reality. How can I change and control that to serve me? Coming to wisdom means you need to have something in authority over you. Years ago, when I, I, the only way I got out of emotionally, I had to come back to what's an authority over me. 
is me blowing up and, and the expectation that I need to be a good dad as much as and as right as that is, is that an authority over me because I can't measure up? Or is God and His Word an authority over me? In other words, like, uh, do I trust that He loves me no matter what? Do I trust that? Will I receive His grace? Because if I trust that, then I can receive His grace. And I am conforming my, my soul to the reality of His Word and the reality of His presence and the reality of His plan. And so what happened was ultimately the way I got out of it was basically by saying, I'm going to the who. Because there are hows. God tells us how. God tells us how to walk with Him. He tells us how to trust in Him, acknowledging Him in all of our ways. But it's rooted in relationship. Listen, wisdom is rooted in a relationship. It's rooted in a who. Just as Chase called Kevin, and that was rooted in a relationship, and wisdom came out, in the same way, wisdom always comes through a relationship in person when it really brings life. And it could be the person of the Lord, the person of Jesus Christ, or it could be a person that we live in the same house or apartment with. Can God do it? Yes. Can I do it? Sometimes I don't do it well. But when I realize that God can do it, I naturally trust Him. There's a little bit more to that. And I want to show you a couple more verses down what that is. Look at verses 11 and 12. And we'll finish here in this relationship. My son, Proverbs is written from a father to a son. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of His reproof. In other words, don't get angry at God when you're going through a hard time that God had planned. And don't get depressed. Why? Here it is, right? Verse, four, verse 12. For, see the word for? It's answering the word why. For the Lord reproves him who he, he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, you are an adopted child of God. You're an adopted child, and you are a son, a type of first century son that would get the inheritance. In this case, it's all the spiritual blessings of that relationship, all the love that's continued to pass down. But it begs the question, first of all, is do you believe that God loves you? Let's go a little bit further with that. Do you believe that God likes you? even when you're blowing it, even when you're a bad dad, even when you're not handling yourself the way it should be. Let's get a little bit more specific with this verse. Do you believe God delights in you? You know, because of Jesus, God delights in you. Because He was perfect on your behalf God 
delights in you, even when you blow it. You know, a few years ago, I was on sabbatical, and I was trying to get on, these is- on top of these issues. And our church elders were like, man, you are really screwed up. I can't believe you're the pastor on here. And I was like, don't you do that to me because you were kind of had your deal a couple years ago, you know. <laughs> we're going around. But we realized, I'm done. And uh, we went on a sabbatical. And it was a two-month sabbatical. And the first uh, month, first week, actually, I went to a monastery. I'd never, I'd really never been in touch or known much about the Catholic Church. And these monks, I mean, they were like all in. I said to my friend of mine, like, if all Catholics were like as dedicated as these monks, this would be incredible, <laughs> at least in the area of passion. And so what happened is uh, they had, I went, started going to their worship services. They have seven a day. And one of the things that you know is they just sing the psalms, which is more of a chanting together. In fact, they sing so many of the psalms, uh, 150 psalms in the Bible, that they'll go through the entire book of psalms, 150 chapters, in two weeks. And they'll do this the rest of their lives. And we were right in the middle of Psalm 84. We got to the very end of it. And the very last uh, line in their translation was, Happy is the man who trusts in you. Oh, Lord, happy is the man who trusts in you. I was like, Protestants don't believe that. You know, I'm like, So I went back to my Bible, that one. Opened it up, translation I was used to. It said, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And that's, honestly, happy is a really good translation. It's just, you could, you know, depends on who you're talking to. It's the best way to translate it. And honestly, reading blessed, sometimes I miss the point because it just seems a little overly spiritual word. And so I wrote that on a three-by-five card. And here I was a mess. Here I was way off. And I just started walking around, and I just started thinking about this. I'm like, this is, this is what the Bible says. Do I believe? And, and am I going to conform my soul to reality that happiness is found in trusting in the Lord, that straight paths are found in that way? And so what happened was after about an hour, I stopped, and I literally said out loud, are you kidding me? God, are you kidding me? All this time I've been pursuing happiness. And I've been doing it by trying to stay in control, by trying to do it right. And actually, happiness is found in trusting in the Lord. It's so good for me. Four months later, after a good sabbatical and really spending there for four months, I didn't even think about it. But I was out praying one morning. And uh, which wasn't a regular practice for me, but it had become one ever since my sabbatical. And I just stopped, and I said to myself, you know, I can't remember a time I've been happier. And then all of a sudden it hit me. None of my circumstances have changed. In fact, foster care had gotten worse. There were several things that were significant events. If we had time, you would say, gosh, that's pretty bad. And I realized I said out loud, I've never been happier. And yet, my circumstances were worse. 
Could it be God knows what he's talking about? Could it be that God can be trusted? Could it be that God is faithful to his promises? The answer is yes. Let me tell you why you can trust in God. It's because he delights in you. When somebody delights in you, you naturally trust them. They'll win you over. Some of you got married this way. <laughs> well, you weren't interested in him. Yeah, you weren't. Interested. But he just loved you so much. After a while, you're like, you're pretty attractive now, right? Because of Jesus, God delights in you. And because God delights in you, you can trust him. A few years ago, my mom was on her deathbed in 2012. And she had a ventilator in. And I flew down from Tennessee to Texas. And for everybody else, she was just kind of out. When I would walk in the room and she heard my voice, she would come up and look at me in the eyes. And her eyes were getting glassy as she was losing some blood volume with some things going on. And I'm like, I know, Mom. I know. And I don't know what her last words would have been, but I'm pretty sure because she loved this verse so much, it would be, trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall make straight your paths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are solid, that we can trust You, Jesus Christ came um, so that we could have a relationship and, and experience your love and delight. And I just thank you so much that it, this whole deal is conditioned on you and your faithfulness and your promises. And even when we fail, you woo us with your delight. You woo us with your love. And Father, I pray that you would help us respond now knowing that we can trust you with whatever's going on. So many people are dealing with so many different things. I just pray, Father, that that trust would, would turn to you as we come and enjoy your presence and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.